the life of Jacob. So let's let's look there, at, starting in Genesis 48, verse 1. Now it came about after these things that Joseph was told, Behold, your father is sick. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, with him. When it was told to Jacob, Behold, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel collected his strength and sat up in the bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and numerous, and I will make you a company of peoples, and will give this land to your descendants after you for an everlasting possession. Now your two sons, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine, Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. But your offspring that have been born after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the names of their brothers and their inheritance. Now as for me, when I came from Paddan, Rachel died to my sorrow in the land of Canaan on the journey, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me here. So he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were so dim from age that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them close to him, and he kissed them and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your children as well. Then Joseph took them from his knees and bowed with his face to the ground. Joseph took them both. Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right, and brought them close to him. But Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, crossing his hands, although Manasseh was the firstborn. He blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. And may my name live on in them and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow into a multitude into the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on Ephraim's head, it displeased him, and he grabbed his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Place your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also will become a people, and he also will be great. However, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. He blessed them that day, saying, May, may you... Or by you, Israel will pronounce blessing, saying, May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. I give you one portion more than your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. Father, we come to your word to be fed on it, to, to read it, to think about it, to contemplate it, to worship you in the very act of submitting to your voice. And we ask now that you would teach us that these events which took place more than 4,000 years ago 
that still resonate today because of Jacob's faith would touch our lives. That we would share in his faith as we are of the faith of Abraham and the faith of Isaac and the faith of Jacob. We thank you for this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, we've already kind of begun with with Jacob in Genesis. The, The reason that we're doing this by way of reminder is we're working through the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11 is a series of case studies of normal people, people like you and me, who trusted in God. And we see their stories. The next one we come to is Jacob in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21. And that just says very simply, we're going to go there in a few minutes, but I'll read it to you. It says, By faith Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped leaning on top of his staff. Jacob's story is fairly complex. And more time in Scripture is devoted to Jacob than, than maybe to any other person other than Moses but most of what Moses wrote is about the people of Israel Jacob is born in Genesis chapter 25 Jacob dies in Genesis chapter 49 that's more space given to Abraham it's more space certainly given to Isaac or to Noah and and yet Jacob of of the three is the most troublesome He, he just was not the kind of guy that you'd really want to know or would respect. Let me just summarize those chapters for you in a minute or two. Uh, Jacob and his brother Esau were twins. In chapter 25, we're told that uh, Jacob was chosen by God before he was born to become the patriarch. So it wouldn't be uh, Abraham, Isaac, Esau. It would be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Again, in chapter 25, it says that the two men grew up. Esau was an outdoorsman, a hunter, his father's favorite. Jacob was used to comfort and tents, and he was his mother's favorite. In that same chapter, we see that Jacob is a plotter and a schemer. He happily trades a bowl of soup, a bowl of stew, for Esau's birthright. Now, the scripture and God in the scripture condemn Esau for despising his birthright. He was willing to sell his birthright for a bowl of stew. But let's not forget that Jacob was willing to take that stew in exchange for it. I really hope that if you were walking, say, through Hy-Vee or through Dollar General, if, if you found a wallet on the ground and you opened it up and, and there was $1,000 in cash in it, you wouldn't just kind of slyly put it in your pocket. You'd know that somebody had lost it and you would try to, to return it to them. You would have some care. You, you would do what Cain didn't. You would say, I am my brother's keeper. I am responsible to watch out for those who might do something foolish. Jacob said, I'm not my brother's keeper. I don't have a responsibility to keep him from doing foolish things. I get to benefit from his foolishness. And he took the birthright. When the men were about 40, and it appeared that Isaac was dying, he was not dying at that time, but it appeared so, Jacob disguised himself as Esau with his mother's help and fooled uh, Isaac into giving him Esau's blessing. Esau responded with a, a serious, credible threat of murder. And so Jacob ran north to Haran, where his mother's family was from. He spent the next 12 years there. He worked for his uncle Laban for seven years. He went to marry Rachel. Laban snuck the older sister Leah in under the veil. Remember, there's no night lights. And so it wasn't until the next morning that Jacob realized that he had been tricked. 
he promised to work an additional seven years to marry Rachel, and he did marry Rachel. Those two women and their slaves gave him 11 sons. Joseph was the youngest of the 11, born to Rachel, who had been barren for a, a long time. Jacob worked an, an additional six years for, uh, to, in order to gain a large flock of animals. And then because he, he was afraid of Laban and Laban's sons, he left Haran in secret with his family and possessions. On his way, he was almost, in, almost to the land of Canaan when he learned that Esau was on his way to meet him with 400 armed men. When they had parted 20 years before, Esau had, had said, credibly, I'm going to kill you. Now he finds out Esau is coming, and Jacob does what Jacob typically does. He sends a bribe. He tries to buy his way out. He tries to use his own cleverness to escape the trouble. The amazing thing is Esau's got a wonderful character arc in scripture. Esau, who had despised his birthright, who was a foolish, ungodly man, the scripture says, and he was an ungodly man because scripture says so. When he meets Jacob, he falls on him weeping for affection over his brother. What happened 20 years ago is done. And he initially refuses the bribe. He says, what's all of this? And Jacob says, well, I just thought. And Esau says, no, 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 no. And Jacob insists and presses him on it. And Esau finally takes it. There's a troubling episode when Jacob's, Dinah is, uh, Jacob's daughter Dinah is assaulted by a local prince. Jacob's sole concern in that chapter is his reputation. Because he does nothing, his sons Simeon and Levi go in and they persuade these, these, the men of this town, our, our sister can marry this man if you're all circumcised and so you must all be circumcised and they agree because they think by her marrying him that they'll gain all of the wealth of of Jacob and his family and while they're healing up it says Simeon and Levi went in with a sword and they killed every single man in the village mass murder for the sake of one case of assault and again Jacob's sole concern in that chapter is what people would think of him He's not a guy we would want to know. He's not a nice man. His beloved wife Rachel gives birth to Benjamin. She dies as she's giving birth. We move on to the story of Joseph, who is hated by the others because he's Jacob's favorite. They sell him to slave traders heading to Egypt. They tell Jacob uh, that Joseph was killed by a wild animal. We found his robe. It's just stained with blood. And Jacob goes into this time of mourning that lasts for decades. Decades and decades. Many years later, Joseph rose to prominence in Egypt, and eventually he becomes the mean by which, means by which his own family is saved from, by, from famine. They're reunited. And sometime after being reunited, as you saw in chapter 47, uh, probably last week, Joseph takes Jacob to Pharaoh to meet him. Jacob's 130 years old. And he says, Pharaoh says, how old are you? Tell me about your life. And he says, I am 130 years old. And my life has been short and bitter. He says, few and unpleasant have been the years of my life. That's Genesis 47.9. Nor have they attained the years that my fathers lived during their, their lifetimes. At the age of 130, Jacob's got nothing good to say. 
nothing good to say. It's an amazing thing. But as Roy read this morning in chapter 47, verse 29, when the time came for Israel to die, drew near, he called his son Joseph and said to him, please, if I have found favor in your sight. And right there, there's a change. Something's happened. Jacob doesn't show up trying to trying to, to wheedle his way through. He doesn't show up with a bribe. He doesn't command. In fact, if you remember Joseph's dream, we're going to look at that next week, but if you remember Joseph's dream, the dream is his family will bow down to him. His, his father now fulfills that dream by saying to Joseph, his son, if I have found favor in, in your sight, don't bury me in Egypt. Bury me in my land. And Joseph agrees. So something has taken place in those 17 years. And that comes to fruition in the blessing of Joseph's sons. We, we read that entire chapter. We're not going to read it again. A couple of things that I want to point out in verse 5, he says to Joseph, <coughs> your two sons who were born to you in Egypt shall be mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine. As Reuben and Simeon are, Reuben and Simeon, Simeon were, were Jacob's oldest sons. Jacob says to Joseph, your two oldest sons are like my two oldest sons. That's how I see them. That's how I consider them. And at the end of the chapter, we saw that he says to Joseph, I give you one portion more than I gave your brothers. And he did that by basically dividing the inheritance not into 12, but into 13 and giving a portion to Ephraim and Manasseh. The boys are brought close, it says in verse 13. And this reminds me of what Rebekah did. Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right, and brought them close to him. Now, I just want you to imagine this. Uh, the picture is that Jacob is sitting in a bed. He sat up when the boys came in. Jacob is sitting in, in bed. And Joseph brings Ephraim with his right hand close to Jacob's left, which means Ephraim is facing him on this side of the bed. Manasseh has his left hand towards Jacob's right, which means Manasseh is facing Jacob on the right side of the bed so that Jacob simply has to raise his hands and put them on the heads of the boys. Joseph says, just like Rebecca, I'm going to manage this blessing. This blessing will happen as I want it to happen. Jacob crosses his hands. He puts his left hand on Manasseh's head, the oldest. He puts his right hand on Ephraim's head, the youngest. Jumping to verse 17, when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on Ephraim's head, it displeased him or distressed him. It's a fairly strong word. Joseph is, is unhappy about this. And Joseph says, no. No, Dad. This one is the oldest. You got your hands switched around. And he actually takes his father's hand, tries to take it off of Ephraim's head and move it over to Manasseh's head. Now remember, Joseph is vice president of Egypt. Joseph is a man who's used to being obeyed. Jacob refuses. But he doesn't refuse in an angry way. He doesn't refuse in a, in a battling way. He, he doesn't go to war. 
In fact, he acknowledges Joseph's heart in concern. He says in verse 19, I know, son, I know, I know. And, and Manasseh's going to get his share. He's going to be a great man. He's going to be the father of a people. He's going to have his. But the younger son will be greater. Joseph tries to manage the blessing Jacob refuses. And it's Jacob's prayer which catches my attention. And because the statement in Hebrews 11.21 is, By faith, Jacob. We want to consider his faith. And what stands out to me here is the way he addresses God. So in verse 15... He blessed Joseph and said, and and this is actually a prayer directed to God, and he, he speaks to God using three titles or three descriptions. He prays to the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. He acknowledges that he is part of a line. God chose my father Abraham, and then God chose my father Isaac, and then God chose me. That's my God. He's not a God who encountered me yesterday or a week ago or a month ago. This is the God who has had his hand on my family, and then he chose me. That's the God that I am trusting today. And we know that God chose Jacob. Genesis 25 tells us that. He tells Rebekah, before the boys are ever born, the older will serve the younger. I've chosen the younger. As Romans 9 puts it, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, Esau have I rejected. Esau is not going to be the one. Jacob is going to be the one. Jacob came to believe that. He came to believe his place in the line of patriarchs. He had fought his entire life to achieve something, to be something, to matter. He had fought his entire life to to get up on top. Nobody was going to get ahead of him. He was going to make sure. He was going to use all of his cleverness and all of his wiles to make sure that he got where he wanted to be. And now he says, you know, all of that was unnecessary. God gave it to me. And God gave it to me before I was ever born. And he rests in that. He prays to the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. Now, we know biblically that the Lord had guided Jacob every day of his life. Again, he'd called him before he was ever born. There was never a point where Yahweh left him to fend for himself. I think it's safe to say that Jacob frequently lost sight of God. He frequently thought, I have to do this myself. There's nobody else who will do this. But the Lord never lost sight of him. And he finally comes at the end of his life to believe that. And by the way, he finishes blessing Joseph's sons. He speaks to Joseph. Chapter 49 opens with the words, then he summons his sons and the sense is that he calls them into where he is at that moment. He speaks to all of them. And then in verse 33, the last verse of chapter 49, 
It says, when Jacob finished charging his sons, he drew his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. At the time that that Jacob is blessing Joseph's sons, he has minutes to live. Minutes. And with minutes to live, he says, I know that God has been my shepherd every single day. Every single day. He finally submitted himself to the truth of the sovereignty of God. He finally said nothing that happened was accidental. Nothing that happened was by chance. Nothing that that happened in my life was through random circumstance. The pains of my life, the triumphs of my life, they were all according to the providence of God who shepherded me and guided me through every step. I like to think that, that God kind of needs my help at times. That, that he kind of needs me. He's, he's kind of relying on me to, to do this or that. And there's no question that he uses us. But he doesn't need us. He's fully capable of bringing about his purposes without us. Steve recently preached on on uh, two sermons on Jonah, Jonah and the war- and the whale, and Jonah and the worm. Jonah is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Whenever anybody says to me, "God can't make you do something you don't want to do," I just say, "Go read Jonah, and come back, and we'll talk." Because Jonah said, "No, I'm not going east. I'm going west." He got on a boat, and God said, "No, you're not going west." He brings up a storm. Jonah says, "I'm not getting off the boat," and God says, "I'll take care of that." And he increases the storm until Jonah jumps in the water. And I think Jonah jumps in the water to commit suicide rather than obeying God. And God says, not a problem. I got a fish waiting. And that fish swallows him, swims him back, I don't know how many days, to the eastern Mediterranean shore, erps him up on the beach. He gets out, bleached white, hair bleached white, skin bleached white. He walks a thousand or twelve hundred miles to Nineveh, mad the whole time. He is mad the whole time. And he goes into Nineveh looking like a ghost, looking like something out of a nightmare, and, and says to them, you got three days and you're dead. And God has mercy on those people. Jonah said, I refuse to obey. And God said, yeah, it's, I don't need your obedience, or I don't need your agreement. You will obey me. Jonah says, I'll kill myself, and God says, it's not a problem. Death doesn't prevent me from doing what I want to do. Jacob finally realized that God had been his shepherd his entire life. And I think he realizes, and I'm speculating here a little bit, I, I admit that, I think he realizes all my trickery was unnecessary. God had promised me that position in the line of Abraham and Isaac, and and I tried to make it happen, and God didn't need me to do that. And third, Jacob prays to the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. The angel of the Lord is God in human form. It's called a, theologically, it's called a theophany or Christophany. It's an appearance of God in physical form, either as an angel or as a man. Jacob doesn't just say, God saved me from Isaac, or God saved me from Laban. He says, God saved me from all evil. 
He's come to have an understanding of sin. And the word redeemed here is related to the, the, the noun redeemer, which is also translated at places kinsman redeemer. And it's not just somebody who rescues another person. It's, it's a relative. It's somebody that, that is related to you. It's what's used of Boaz in the book of Ruth. Boaz was related to Naomi. And Naomi says to Ruth, Boaz is our kinsman redeemer. He is the one who has a responsibility to rescue us. Jacob says, God is my kinsman redeemer. He didn't redeem me out of some kind of grim duty. God redeemed me because he's father. He's made me his own. No one redeems himself. If there's redemption at all, it's because God is is redeemer. And we see this all the way through scripture. So 2,000 years or more after Jacob lives and after Jacob dies, the angel Gabriel says to Joseph, Mary's husband, that her baby Jesus would save his people from their sins. Hebrews chapter 3 says Jesus had to become like his brethren in every way to redeem him, to redeem them. Because God the Son took on human flesh and is now eternally God and man, our God is our kinsman redeemer. We're not pets to him. We're children to him. So as we think about Hebrews, that simple statement, by faith Jacob as he was dying blessed the sons of Joseph and worshipped leaning on the top of his staff He's 147 years old. Right after this, he calls together all of his sons. He blesses them. When he's done, he, he dies. He quite literally speaks these words on his deathbed. And he, he passes on the Father's blessing. What does he have now? What does he have to give? What does he have to give? We all think about our children. We all think about what we're going to leave our children and how we're going to leave it and when we're going to leave it and what we do and and all of that. What does he possess? He, He possesses nothing. He's living in a foreign land. His sons are shepherds, but certainly they have all the livestock now. It's not that he owns a bunch of property back in Canaan. He's he's not loaded up with gold and silver and precious gems. For 17 years, he's lived as a shepherd in Egypt. Joseph had told his his family at the end of Genesis 46 that shepherds were the most despised class of people in Egypt. Jacob had nothing to give his sons. Jacob had everything to give his sons. Because God had chosen him Because God had shepherded him. Because God had redeemed him from all evil. And that's the God that he worships. And he's able to look at his sons who are are very much like him. You've got killers in there. You've got thieves in there. You've got murderers in there. You've got liars in there. They're, They're not great people 
any more than their dad is. And, and he's able to say, for reasons I can't begin to explain, my sons, God chose Abraham and he chose Isaac and then he chose me. But he's not picking out just one of you. He chose Abraham, not Terah. He chose Isaac, not Ishmael. He chose Jacob, not Esau. But now he's not selecting just one of you. It's all of my sons. By God's sovereign will, by God's sovereign choice. The God who has shepherded me will shepherd you. And and sure enough, 400 years later, when the Lord leads them out of Egypt, they are led by a pillar of cloud in the day and a pillar of fire at night. and, And the Lord is their shepherd. David writes in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. Paul writes in Romans 8 that all who are led by the Holy Spirit are filled by the Holy Spirit and they are sons of God. So the Holy Spirit is a shepherd. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit shepherds his people. And we have absolute redemption through faith in Jesus Christ. Jacob has nothing. Jacob has everything. Jacob has nothing. Jacob has everything. If you have the faith of Jacob, which is such imperfect faith, you can't say, here's a little boy who was born, and boy, he was like Samuel the prophet who was raised in the tabernacle and raised by the high priest, and he knows the Lord, and he walks faithfully with it. He's almost like Jesus. There's just Jacob is just... A really wretched guy until the very end of his life. Chosen by God, not because he was good, but because God is gracious and because God's choice is because of his sovereignty and not because of our goodness. If you're in Christ, then the very same things that Jacob said of himself are true of you as well. You have been chosen. You have been shepherded. You have been redeemed. And these words from Ephesians are true of you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight he made known to us the the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. (coughs) In him also we have obtained an inheritance, 
having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. How do you know if the Father's chosen you? By the faith you have in Christ. Not a moment. Not, oh, I like that, I'll believe that, and then, and then turning away in a day or, or two days or a year or ten years. But a lifetime of faith. You know, we all, be, we all begin as Christians at a different point. Some as children, some of us as teenagers, some of us as adults, some of us perhaps even as seniors. But you know, we all end at exactly the same place. We all end up right where Jacob was, on a deathbed. And if you're truly in Christ, you end up on that deathbed saying, I was chosen and I have been shepherded. And I am redeemed. See, our hope is in Christ. This is what the body and the blood of of Jesus are about as, as we come to celebrate the Lord's table this morning. This acknowledgement that God chose us. That God has shepherded us. That we've been redeemed. Isn't there more? Oh yeah. But there's no less. And this is the foundation of, of absolutely everything for us, is the recognition that God the Father sent God the Son to die in our place, bearing our sins, and to be resurrected to life, and that God the Spirit came to give us the life and the faith and regeneration so that we would be promised the inheritance. Father, we thank you for your love for us as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's table. Let us examine ourselves as you have commanded us not to see if we're good enough, because, Lord, we are not good enough. Really, to see if we come in humility and the acknowledgement, I need a Savior. I need redemption. And Lord, I, I need a shepherd. I need to know that you are shepherding me every day of my life. And Lord, I know that I needed to be chosen. <coughs> Left to my own, I never would have chosen you. Left to my own, I would have been like Jacob or like Esau. because you chose and you shepherded and you redeemed today I can call you father today I can look to Jesus Christ and say behold my savior and I can look to the Holy Spirit God who indwells me who has taken up residence within me to transform me 
And Lord, we give you thanks for what Jesus has done. In his holy name we pray. Amen.